We hope that you will enjoy these three preview episodes of Crescent City Crime. Regular episodes will start appearing on January 6th, 2022. Make sure that you subscribe to us on your favorite listening platform so you don't miss an episode. Warning. Crescent City Crime contains violent and explicit content that is not suitable for a younger audience. Some topics may be disturbing or triggering for sensitive listeners. Listen at your own risk. Thank you for listening to Crescent City Crime. If you wish to further support the show, please make sure to like, rate, and review this podcast on your preferred listening platform. We can also be found on YouTube at Crescent City Crime. You can discuss episodes with other listeners in our private Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit our merch store. All of our social media links, show notes, sources, and more can be found on our blog, nolacrimepodcast.com. That's nola, N-O-L-A, crimepodcast.com. The music used in this episode is the Black Fingerprint, and it was composed by Dylan Owen. Welcome to Crescent City Crime, dear listeners. I'm Tracy. And I'm Brian. And today we're going to present an overview of the history of the death penalty in the state of Louisiana. Brian, you want to tell a little bit about your qualifications for the audience? Uh, Yes, I'm criminal justice major, and uh, I spent two years as a correction officer with the local sheriff's department. And uh, I also volunteered as a a reserve police officer for, for a few years, so... I do have experience in this field. Uh, I've also been on a field trip uh, to Angola, uh, State State Penitentiary. Which we will talk about in a future episode, because I have also been there. And my qualifications are as such. I am a true crime fan, and I live in New Orleans. And I married Brian. Those are my qualifications. (laughs) (laughs) So... um, well, Brian, what do you know about the death penalty? Like, letter of the law, how do you get the death penalty in the state of Louisiana? Well, pretty much it has to be a, a unanimous uh, guilty, guilty verdict. Right. And it has to be a first-degree murder conviction. Um, I do also want to say that we understand that the death penalty is a difficult topic to tackle. Sometimes I myself change my mind. I debate with myself on it back and forth quite often. And I think it's okay to have those feelings. I think it's okay to feel different ways about it because it's a pretty big deal to get, you know, a needle put in your arm. All right. So uh, I also want to talk about some facts and figures that deserve consideration. You know, when I started down the road of researching this, uh, a lot of morbidly fascinating things came to light. And so did many injustices having to do with our death penalty system in general, like overall in America. So currently, as Brian said, the legal process for seeking a death penalty is that the jury must return a unanimous verdict, but also the circumstances of the crime 
must meet specific criteria and the final outcome, again, decided by a unanimous jury. So interestingly enough, if the jury is hung during the death penalty phase, then a life sentence is issued automatically uh, because returning to the sentencing phase is not allowed at all. Now, if the governor chooses to, he or she may, under the advice and consent of the Louisiana Board of Pardons and Parole, commute the sentence. Um, however, the governor does not need any consent for issuing a stay of execution. Um, one of the, to me, the most the most complicated part of the issue of, of the uh, death penalty is pretty much a fact that in the United States of America, statistically speaking, 10% of people who are, who are convicted of a crime are actually innocent. So therefore, it means that approximately 10% of the people who are executed for, uh, for murder are, uh, are likely innocent. Well, what if I told you that those facts and figures, not only are you correct, we will get to it a little bit later into the episode. A lot of people have been found innocent on death row more than you would actually think. Okay, so the first method of execution in Louisiana was hanging. From 1911 to 1941, over 100 people faced the gallows for various crimes. And, you know, at that time, you could just, like, go watch these hangings and you could bring your kids. Yeah, and <laughs> now, believe it or not, uh, even into the early uh, early 90s, you could do that in, in Saudi Arabia, parts of Saudi Arabia. Fascinating. Okay, but this is... Not a Saudi Arabia. Right, right, right. But, but I'm just putting this in perspective. You know, in our country, yeah. that's going back over a hundred years, but not so much in certain other countries. You're right about that. But different countries have different systems, which you know, someday we will again in a future episode we will talk more about different justice systems outside of America. But anyway, at that time, I'm sorry. So after 1941 a more infamous method of execution was introduced, and that was the electric chair. The electric chair in Louisiana quickly became an object of grim fascination, and it gained the nickname Gruesome Gertie. <laughs> Until 1957, the chair was taken from parish to parish to perform executions. Hilton Butler, who would go on to become the warden of Angola Prison, drove the truck that transported the chair, and he prepared it for the executions. The truck contained the electric chair and a generator. <laughs> of course. Crazy, yes. right? Like, yeah. just go around the state and just zap, zap. It's really, that's really crazy. So that, that 65 watt, uh, that 6,500 watt generator that we used recently <laughs> in the wake of Hurricane Ida, would that have been enough to power that, that electric chair? I don't. No, I I um, think that my Google my Google search history is questionable enough without me googling um, <laughs> how big of a generator you need to operate an electric chair. I think that might put me on some kind of list. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Butler uh, gave an interview later on, and he described the truck that transported the chair, and he said, "You had an electric chair and a generator in a truck that looked like a refrigeration truck." He also said that state law decreed the execution always took place between 12 midnight and 3 a.m., but we always did it immediately after midnight. When asked why that was, Butler replied that it was to keep the public from being involved. 
Is that interesting? So only witnesses, like official witnesses, and the coroner were allowed to be present at those executions. The portable death chair was in use until 1957, until the execution chamber was completed at the Louisiana State Penitentiary, which is Angola Prison, in 1957. Now, the very first person to ever be put into the electric chair was Eugene Johnson. He had robbed and murdered a farmer named Stephen Bench, and the execution took place in Livingston Parish Jail on September 11, 1941. So that is... His, uh, that is Mr. Eugene Johnson's contribution to Louisiana history. <laughs> All right. So the first person, the first person to survive the electric chair in the United States was Willie Francis. He survived it. In 1944, the chair malfunctioned during his first execution and his case was appealed to the United States Supreme Court, but he lost his case and he was executed in 1947. That's crazy. Like, he survived the electric chair, got his case all the way to the Supreme Court, and lost his case anyway. I mean, would it, how do you think the lawyers argued that when, like, he already kind of died? Well, it was cruel. They, they used the cruel and unusual punishment argument. Oh, probably, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That, that, can, that can be used uh, in a habeas corpus type of, of argument where... Uh, you're able to actually, you're able to go free because your constitutional rights are violated and you are subjected to cruel and unusual punishment, which is for, it's expressly forbidden. Gotcha. But, well, apparently the Supreme Court did not see this as cruel and unusual punishment, so, which I have to say I disagree with that decision. I think if you were one to survive something like that, they should just let you live your life in prison then. But that's just me. There was only one woman so far to face capital punishment in Louisiana, and that was uh, Tony Jo Henry. While she was on her way to attempt to break her husband out of the Texas State Penitentiary, she murdered Joseph P. Calloway, and her execution took place on November 28, 1942. And I do want to say that, yes, dear listeners, I have a a whole episode devoted to Tony Joe Henry coming up soon, so make sure you look for that. Now, another widely known case is that of Elmo Patrick Saunier. Do you recognize that name, Brian? It's um, a little familiar. So he was the one who, he was the subject of the story Dead Man Walking, which was written by Sister Helen Prejean, right. who is right. a big advocate against the death penalty, which... Um, I actually do follow Sister Helen on on Facebook, and she does really give me some things to think about because she believes that all life is sacred. And I just have to say that I really do respect somebody, anybody, you don't have to be a nun, to just really and truly believe that even a person who has done bad things, that their life is still worth something. Because that is something that I personally go back and forth with myself. Well, redemption is a, as a Catholic, as part of the Catholic doctrine. That's pretty, true. Pretty yeah. much Catholic, Catholics pretty much believe that every soul can be redeemed, saved, yeah. redeemed, salvaged. And, you know, prison is a, a moratorium on life. It's a place where someone can spend a lot of time uh, figuring out who they really are, maturing, 
eventually concluding that there there's a better way to live your life that being a man is about you know facing your responsibilities and not you know not living your life just any way you want to pretty much that's true yeah but again i still go back and forth with myself on it because i'm because sometimes i'm like that person was just an asshole. But again, I respect anybody. Very much advocate for that so wholeheartedly. The last person to face the electric chair was Andrew Lee Jones, and he was convicted of raping and murdering a child. So that's a person that I think is like, you know what? The world's better off without him. But again, that's just my opinion. Don't come from So, but he was executed on July 22nd, 1991. But then, after 1991, the method of execution was switched. It was switched to lethal injection, and the last person to be executed in Louisiana is Gerald Bordelon, who again, you know, raped and murdered a child. And his execution was on January 7th, 2010. The most recent person to receive the death penalty in Louisiana is Kyle Jokel, who was just sentenced in early 2020. He was found guilty of murdering two St. John Parish deputies in 2012. I think that that, wasn't that the person who ambushed the deputies in, do you remember that? I believe that he he, he ambushed deputies with a Kalashnikov rifle, you know, an AK, an AK series rifle. Okay. Which is uh, very, quite, quite premeditated. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's a, a tough one too. I need to put a pin in that name because I think we need to talk about him. How uh, even though the execution chamber is cleaned daily, as of 2021, it, it has been over 10 years since Louisiana has carried out an execution. Did you know that, Brian? Yeah. Yeah. Now, it's it always makes the news and we haven't seen any. We haven't that, seen right? any in quite a while. However, what this is part of a trend across the country in general. Out of the 29 states that have capital punishment in America, 13 death chambers have gone unused for a decade. And th there are reasons for this, though. So in 2012, a lawsuit was filed by the companies that manufacture the lethal injection drugs. They don't want their companies associated with capital punishments. So, like, they want their companies' names taken off the label. Now... The Louisiana governor, John Bell Edwards, who is our current governor at this point in time, he recently said that the issue was out of his control. He said that there is a federal court stay on executions in Louisiana, and we also have an inability to acquire the drugs to use in lethal injections because no manufacturer will sell them to the state for that purpose. In fact, they have threatened suit against Louisiana if we use them for executions. And then in 2016, a study found that of the 241 death sentences given within 30 years, only 28 of those were actually executed, and 127 of those verdicts have been reversed. And the reason why the verdicts were reversed is that either a new trial was ordered or the death sentence was rescinded entirely. And then in 2019... A study found that the state's capital punishment system costs Louisiana taxpayers about $15 million a year more than housing prisoners who have life sentences. So in spite of the high cost of taxpayers, as well as a years-long moratorium on executions, 
Louisiana lawmakers have repeatedly rejected efforts to end the state's use of capital punishment. Why is it so much more expensive to house somebody on death row than it is to just have them uh, in prison for life? Is it because of um, court of It's appeals la- largely because of the appeals process. The appeals oh. process costs considerable money, and the higher the appeals process go, the more the more money it costs. Okay, and but you're saying that like the that money costs the state because the state still has to pay to counter the appeals, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, of course, you know, this issue is a political hot potato. And the current Louisiana Attorney General, uh, Jeff Landry, who is not a friend of the podcast, by the way, says that Governor Edwards is not interested in finding ways to carry out executions. And I just want to say for everybody listening that, you know, John Bell Edwards ran on a pro-life campaign. And I feel like his views extend to the death penalty as well. And I will also add that, yes, Governor Edwards is a Catholic. So, you know, again, this is somebody who seems to wholeheartedly believe that every soul can be redeemed. Or if not redeemed while in prison, uh, you know, judged by God afterwards. Right, right. Now, some states like Texas are working to track down lethal injection drugs. They purchase the drugs from Asia or they negotiate with other states who have a supply. Other states have a law that shields the names of the companies that manufacture the drugs from public knowledge. This is big, like big business trying to protect itself. And as well, like this is another factor in this. Jeff Landry is backing legislation to get shield laws in Louisiana. But that legislation is currently stalled, and opponents are concerned that the drugs will be acquired illegally by the states, and proponents are asking that the legislation passes. Now, one of the strongest arguments for the death penalty abolishment is the fact that many people who are wrongfully accused have been exonerated. As of this recording, there have been 57 exonerations in the state of Louisiana. Reasons like jailhouse informants, uh, poor defense for the accused, misused forensic science, post-conviction DNA testing, false confessions, and eyewitness misidentification are all reasons why people have been exonerated. As of November 8th, 2019, the Innocence Database has won 166, 166 exonerations of prisoners on death row in the United States since 1973. That's a lot of people, Brian. Yes, I mean, one of the aims of the criminal justice system is to protect the innocent. And if you erroneously execute someone who is innocent, then you are not fulfilling that very important uh, part of the criminal justice system. True. That's that's the biggest problem with, with the death penalty. So currently, though, a total of 68 people await their fates on Louisiana's death row. While the men are occupying space in Angola prison, uh, Antoinette Frank is the lone woman awaiting execution. And she's been in there for a long time. She's been in there for like 25 years. Uh, She has been at the Louisiana Correctional Institute for Women in St. Gabriel, Louisiana. And she has been sentenced to death due to her part in a triple murder that happened in 1995. And we will be doing an episode on her someday. Also, right now, uh, four people have died of natural causes 
on Louisiana death row while they're waiting to be executed. You know, that's a, just my very broad overview of capital punishment in Louisiana. And again, I keep going back and forth with myself on the death penalty. And I also think it's okay to not be okay with it at times and desire it at other times. You know, some people think it's a deterrent, but if it's supposed to be a, to be a deterrent, it doesn't seem like it works. I mean, people kill each other every day. Fundamentally, the criminal justice system, the death penalty, is not a deterrent. It is a punishment, just the same as life imprisonment for uh, for murder is also a punishment. Mm -hmm. it, it is. Uh, it, it's not really. It's not really a deterrent. Um, you know, many of these murders are crimes of passion. True, like manslaughter. Yes. Because yes. they don't. They don't put you on death row for second degree murder, right? No. Okay, so it's not a deterrent. And, you know, of course, I can't speak for those who have lost someone in a horrible way and, you know, have their killer on death row. So I don't know how I'd feel in that position, though. Either. Well, my experience uh, with inmates having worked in a jail uh, also indicates that, that the, the death penalty does not function as a deterrent. I've heard phrases uttered in behind prison walls like, well, you know, I don't really care. He's off the face of this earth. He's dead. He's gone. Oh, wow. Um, and of course, this, this did include uh, juveniles who were sentenced to juvenile life, which means you're in here until you're 21, bragging about who they were going to kill when they got out at 21. Oh, wow. That's wild. But I don't doubt it either. You know, but, you know, I mean, this is a tough subject to navigate. It really is. And I understand why. I just want to keep emphasizing that it's a tough subject to navigate. De deterrence is a campaign slogan for politicians, mainly. You're not wrong. But um, we can probably do an episode someday on politicians and why they suck. <laughs> 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 so... But my big thing, my biggest thing, my biggest thing is that you must be 100% certain that you are executing the correct person. And it sounds like if you've gotten that many people exonerated from death row, um, you, they weren't always 100% certain, were they? No. And yeah, our criminal justice system is 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 the way it's set up. It's in, it, it will intentionally let guilty men go free before sentencing innocent people to prison or death and pe yet innocent people still go to prison and get sentenced to death right so it's um you know it's not like in that at sctv uh dirty harry satire where um john candy guns down a bunch of you know a, a whole crowd of people to get to get one armed robber you know it just doesn't work that way I wonder how many people who are listening to this podcast are going to know who the hell John Candy was. <laughs> <laughs> but um, do you have any more final thoughts before we wrap up for today? Uh, when I was uh, a bit younger and still in, in corrections and law enforcement and studying criminal justice, I was very much pro-death penalty. And uh, I did not believe in it as a term, but I believed in it as a punishment. Mm -hmm. uh, but I've, you know, learn so much more since then. And, uh, you know, I'm a firm believer that the criminal justice system, uh, the most important part of the criminal justice system is protecting innocent people. And 
if if you're sending innocent people to death, then you're you're not uh, you're not doing that. That's very true. Now, before we officially sign off for today, I just want to let everybody know that we are dropping the first three episodes of this podcast marathon style. So after this episode, you will have two more episodes to listen to. And of course, we will return on Thursdays for more true crime episodes. And however, we've decided that once once a month, we are going to skip out on true crime and release a conversational series on that Sunday. So you're still going to get an episode every week of the month, just that like one week is going to be a, a skip week because I mean, honestly, like this stuff is as much as we love true crime, it is a, a grim and dark thing. So, you know, on the, on that one week a month, we're just going to have like a light conversational topic. And once we get to that point, I will absolutely let you, let you know about it. Now, in our next episode, though, we're going to be talking about the tragic death of Wendy Byrne, the juveniles who killed her, and how the system just failed everybody in that instance. That's all the time that we have for today. And goodbye, dear listeners. We will talk to you again next week. Good night.